2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. And Paul's talking about this warfare. And look what he says here. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So it's obvious, guys, that we're, we're in a war, amen, but we're not, we're not walking, even though we live in the flesh and it's a fleshly battle with, our, with some of the things we have going on in our life. This is not a war after the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not something you can see. But mighty through God to, pulling, to the pulling down of strongholds. So we're, we're in a fight. We're in a battle. We're, 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 we're doing some uh, fighting in this war. But it's not a physical war. It's not, a car, it's not something we're doing carnally in the flesh. We're doing it, look, mighty through God. It's all through the power of God that we're fighting this fight. And we don't ever need to forget that. We don't ever need to forget that it, we have nothing to do with it. We're never going to win this battle. We can't fight this battle. But if we'll allow Jesus Christ and God through us can, to fight this battle, we can win this battle. Now this morning I want to focus on and I want to preach on the weapons, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare. I want to preach on this morning the weapons, those weapons that we use in this warfare. So I'm going, to, I'm going to preach this morning on three of these weapons. There's three weapons. There's more than this, but there's at least three weapons that we use in this warfare against the devil, against the world, and against ourselves. The first weapon I want to point out this morning to you is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's turn a couple of pages. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. The first weapon I, I want to point out to you this morning is the weapon of rejoicing. <laughs> it don't sound like much of a weapon, does it? The weapon of rejoicing. You tell some soldier, hey, you're going to have to go out into the battle. Here, I'm going to give you this weapon of rejoicing. Oh, no. Can I have a weapon of, uh, you know, an AR-15 or something like that, a shotgun? Give me something, a sword, a knife. No, the Lord gives us the weapon of rejoicing. The weapon of rejoicing. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. And he said unto me, this is Paul talking, he said unto me, my grace, this is Jesus Christ saying to him, my, my grace, Jesus Christ's grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, Jesus Christ's strength, is made perfect in weakness. He said, you know what, Paul, you're having this problem. And Paul keeps praying that he'd, he'd release this, this burden that Paul was, was dealing with, this thorn in the flesh. And Jesus Christ, you know what he said when, he, when, when Paul kept praying for this healing, kept praying that he'd be healed up? Uh, Paul kept praying to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ told him, no. Man, we don't like that word. He said, no. He said, no. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Listen, you've got to admit you're weak. You've got to admit you don't have any strength. That's when Jesus Christ works the best in your life. And I've, I've preached this and preached this. Y'all are probably sick of it. You've got the flesh. You've got the spirit. You've got the old man. You've got the new man. When you, you realize that you're weak in the old man, that you're weak in the flesh, then Jesus Christ's strength in the old, new man will come out even stronger than it's ever been. But you've got to be humble about it. And you've got to say, you know what, I can't do it. You've got to admit that you're weak, that you're a weakling. And then you'll see the strength of Jesus Christ rise up, rise up. Let's read it again. And he said unto me, my grace, 
is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, now this is what Paul's saying. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities. It's the power of rejoicing is one of your main weapons. In his infirmities, Paul said, Jesus Christ said, I'm not going to heal you up. But don't worry, I have grace to give you. My strength will be made perfect because you're going to be weak, but I'm not going to heal you up. And Paul says, you know what? I'm going to get glory out of that. I'm going to glorify God out of that. And therefore will I rather glory in my infirmity. I'm going to be... I'm going to glorify this thorn that's poking me in the flesh. I'm going to glorify God that I'm weak. I'm going to glorify God that I can't do this. I'm going to glorify God that I'm beat up, that I've got cancer, that I've got this weakness, that I've got this sickness, that I can't. I'm going to glorify God, whether I'll glorify my infirmities. Look, why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. He says, I'm going to glorify God so Jesus Christ will get the glory and His power will be on me. You know what scared me when I started getting around a lot of older preachers? Men that I respected, men that I knew. I'm talking about preachers I knew were doing great works for the Lord. I found out that they were really sick. That kind of scared. They always had a thorn in the flesh. And they were dealing with cancer or dealing with some kind of something happening in their life. And it really scared me because I thought, you know what? God's putting them down so low so he can use them. You can't, they can't get the glory so Jesus Christ can get all the glory. Amen. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. Man, Paul's a great Christian. This is why Paul's the greatest Christian to ever live. He's saying he's getting pleasure out of these infirmities. Can you imagine saying, just giving God the glory, saying, you know what, I'm giving you the glory because I have this illness. I'm giving you the glory. It's hard to imagine. Paul was doing it. That's our weapon. When they're beating us, when they're persecuting us, we're rejoicing to God Almighty through the, through the name of Jesus Christ. And they don't get it. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then am I strong. <laughs> Paul says, you know what? When I'm at my weakest, when I'm, I'm dealing with all my battles, that's when I'm strongest for Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is working the strongest in my life. Guys, your weapon, one of your weapons is the weapon of rejoicing. To battle the problems of life. Everybody, it don't matter if you're a Christian or not, everybody has problems in their life. Everybody. Christians get cancer. Non-Christians get cancer. Uh, lost people get cancer. Christians have uh, money problems, have financial problems, have marriage problems, just like lost people have all the same problems. We all have the same problems in life. That's life. But it's how you're going to handle life. And it's a lot easier to handle life outside of the flesh and in the new man in Jesus Christ. It's all oh, so much easier to handle life when you have Jesus Christ handling it for you. Bible says, Cast all, casting all our care on Him, for He careth for us. All those cares you have, whatever they might be, the Bible says you need to cast them on Jesus Christ. Because He cares for you. See, that's our weapon, Christian. That's one of your weapons, the weapon of rejoicing. Turn, turn to Romans chapter, Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Look at verse uh, 2. We'll start at verse 2. Romans chapter 5, verse 2. 
Fanny Crosby got this. Fanny J. Crosby, she understood this to, to the nth degree. Fanny Crosby was a great lady of the Lord. Some of y'all might not recognize that name. You, you, that book, that hymn book that we've got right there, it's full of her hymns. Fanny Crosby was a blind lady that was practically, she was, she was blind from about six weeks of her birth all the way up to she, she died. She was completely blind. She couldn't see a thing. And she wrote over 9,000 songs about Jesus Christ. Yeah. Blind. You know, Matt didn't realize what I was going to be preaching on this morning, but you know he picked out that song, Redeem. You know how we just got through singing, Redeem, by the that song we just got through singing about being redeemed? Fanny wrote that. A blind lady wrote that song about Jesus Christ. Amen. And this is what she said. She said, it seemed, it seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. She said, I think God intended me to be blind. And I thank Him for the dispensation." She's thanking God for being blind. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. Wow. She said, I think God wanted me to be blind, and if somebody came up and said, I can give you eyesight, she said, I don't want it. Why would she say that? She said, I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted, distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. She said, if my, if my sight would have had me distracted away from my God, my Heavenly Father, she said, I don't want it. I might not have sang a sing. Guys, that's a level of Christianity that we're not reaching. That's a weapon that we're not using in our warfare. Amen. We had a, there was a preacher that didn't know any better. He came up to Fanny, Fanny Crosby and he said, It's a shame that you're blind, sister, with all the talents you have on the piano, with your singing, with all the talents God gave you. It's a shame he didn't give you sight too. She said, I don't want sight. <laughs> and you know, I just read it. She, goes, she said, I don't want sight. She said, Do you realize how blessed I'm going to be because... The first face I'm going to see when I get my sight is going to be the face of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, we don't get it. We don't love Him enough. We're in love with the world. We're in love with politics. We're in love with TV. We're in love with everything but Jesus Christ. And He's done everything for us. And when you get around people that are dealing with things in their life, like Sister Colleen, and you're de they're dealing with some serious things in their life, you'll see the power of God on them. Amen. With the Holy Spirit's coming in and giving them peace that passeth all understanding. Amen. You say, how can you, how can you be happy? How do you have that countenance? And, and Sister Colleen said, it's Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, so you're blind. It's such a shame you're blind. I don't want to have sight. I want to see the first face I want to see is Jesus Christ. That's what Crosby, she sang, she wrote 9,000 songs to Jesus Christ. That's the weapon of our warfare is rejoicing. She rejoiced in her infirmity. If some of y'all were to go blind tomorrow, y'all would cry for three months. And Fanny used it for the glory of God. Look at Romans chapter 5 verse 2. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Knowing the tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Paul says we're glorying in these tribulations. Look at verse 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, 
because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Said so you're going through problems, you're going through distresses, you're going through tribulations, but it's working something in you. It's working something in you. And God, by his ultimate love, he sheds his love into your hearts through the Holy Spirit. Man, you're going through all those problems and heartaches, and God comes in and through the Holy Spirit, he speaks to your heart and says, it's going to be all right. I've had him do it. I've had him do that to me in a prayer closet. I've got down on my knees and just bawled and cried. God, I just can't take it anymore. Just cry out my heart. And then just feel the Holy Spirit come in there. Just, oh, it's going it's to it's it's be all right, son. Oh, man, to have a heavenly Father that loves you. Look, he sheds. Look, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. We got to get his love into our hearts. That's our weapon, our weapon of rejoicing. When they're beating us, when they're persecuting us, when they're making fun of us, when it seems like nothing's going right and you, you, you believe in God and you have cancer, why doesn't he heal you? When everybody's throwing doubt at you, God will come in there and he'll help you rejoice. And you'll, you'll be rejoicing when it makes no sense to rejoice. A Christian has hope that nobody else has. Look at verse, look at chapter 8, Romans chapter 8. Man, these verses... Boy, they mean something to you when you're going through something. Boy, you're, when you're doing your daily Bible reading and everything's going right in your life, you'll just read all you'll just read right past those that don't mean nothing to you. But boy, whenever you're going through something in your life, they'll mean something to you. Amen. And God will show you something out of them. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 28. And we know, Paul says, and we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. All things, Brother Keegan? Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, the Bible says all things. Amen. Everything that happens in your life is working towards good. It's hard to imagine it. You think Fanny Crosby's parents, when they saw her go blind, six weeks old and realized she was blind, you think that they were giving glory to God? You think the family, you think the family, you think the neighbors come over the house? Oh, oh, little Fanny's gone blind. Praise the Lord, Fanny's gone blind. You think they were having a prayer meeting about that and praising God? No, they weren't. They couldn't see the future. They couldn't see what God had planned. They couldn't see that God was going to get the glory. You know, I put people in the ground and I think, man, it's a shame that, they're, that, they're, that they died. It's a shame that they, it's a shame they've gone on to glory. They're up in heaven with Jesus Christ. I'm still down here dealing with this mess. And I, I'm feeling sorry for them. Man, I should be feeling sorry for me. If you've got the right perspective, you realize they've gone on to be with Jesus Christ. Why am I ashamed? Why am I feeling sorry for them, man? I'm the one left behind. All things work together for good. Look at, look at the end of this chapter. Look at the end of this chapter. Look at verse 28. Or verse 35, excuse me, pardon me, verse 35. Look at verse 35, same chapter. Paul, man, he's laying it on us. Paul's laying it on us here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you know that Jesus Christ loves you this morning? Amen. Do you realize there's nothing that's going to separate you from that love? You know what makes you, you know, I've tasted a little bit of this down on the earth. I had a mother that loved me. And I was rotten. 
I was sorry. I did some sorry, no good things that I would never admit to you. But you know what? I knew that my mother never stopped loving me. And she was wicked and she was a sinner. And if she has that kind of love for me, how much more does the Father have for me? How much more does Jesus Christ have for me who's perfect and righteous? Amen. Guys, you got to grab Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distresses or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul says it doesn't matter if we die. It doesn't matter what happens. That's what we're here for. Everybody's here to die. <laughs> I don't care if you're an atheist this morning listening to me. I don't care what, if you're a Buddhist or a, a, you're a Muslim. Or, or if you're a Christian, we're all going to die. You're born to raise up, get old, your hair to fall out, if you're like me, gray, and to get old and to die. Verse 37. Nay, nay I say thee, nay, no. Anything separates you from the love of Christ? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Hey, we're, we're conquerors in Jesus Christ. None of this distresses a Christian because we know what the end holds, and the end holds that we're up in heaven with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's faith, fellas. That's faith, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, that's, that's like devils and demons, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, that's your future sins, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. For the, guys, there's nothing going to separate us from the love of God. And when you're down in the dumps and things are going wrong with you, God will come in through the, your heart and He'll shed abroad His love through the Holy Spirit. Man, I've done some really, really sorry things. And to sit there and to repent of it and to ask and confess it and to be on my knees and God show up and say, it's okay. Amen. <laughs> you know what? It might not be okay with the people around me. My friends might not be okay with me. But you know what? When I was down on my knees, God was okay with me. God. And when everybody else stopped loving me and every, some people turned their backs on me, he showed up and said, I love you. Get on up. I love you still. Get on up. That's one of our weapons. It's the weapon of rejoicing. Amen. Let's move on to our second weapon. That's found in 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. That's a powerful weapon. The weapon of rejoicing. But let's move on to 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 8. I haven't even got to the most powerful weapon there's three of these, and the, the, the third one is the most powerful one. This is, a, this is a second weapon. We got weapons of our warfare. This is a second one. 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And what's interesting about these weapons is, in the world's eyes, these aren't weapons. <laughs> these are not something you kill somebody with, hurt somebody with, but they are very, very powerful weapons. Uh, I've just showed you how powerful that weapon was in Fanny Crosby's life, and it can be in your life. And it's working in uh, Sister Colleen's life right now. 
that weapon of rejoicing. Look at the second weapon, though. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. There's your adversary, there's your enemy. You're at war, he's out to get you. There's one of your enemies. But look at verse 9. Whom resist steadfast in the faith. The second weapon is the weapon of resistance. It's a weapon of resistance. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions that are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. It goes back to what I was just saying. What that verse just said to you is, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Listen. That it's the same thing I just said. Everything that's happening to you or that could happen to you is the same thing that could happen to a lost person, a lost woman, a lost girl, a boy, a girl in the world. It's the same thing. And you need to realize, hey, this same thing's happening to me. It happens to everybody. I, I, this is nothing unique, what's happening to me. But in verse 9, he says, when the devil's after you, when you're getting afflicted, when everything's going wrong, you, whom you resist steadfast in the faith. That's a weapon you use against the enemy, and the weapon you use is a weapon of resistance. And you resist him by what? You resist steadfast in the faith. Amen. You resist with faith. You say, you know what? Faith says I'm saved. Faith says that I'm going to go to heaven. Faith says to get out of here. I resist you. I resist all your doubting, all your, your shaming. I resist everything about you. I resist you, and I resist you in the faith of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Those are powerful things there. Turn back a couple of pages to James, James chapter 4. We're, we're talking about this weapon of resistance, James chapter 4. This weapon of resistance. James chapter 4, verse 7. If you'll learn to resist, if you'll learn to resist, this is what will happen. Resist your enemy. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So this weapon is a very powerful weapon against the devil, against Satan, against his cronies, against unclean spirits. It's a weapon of resistance. And if you can learn to resist, the devil will flee He'll flee from you. That's a promise right there in your lap. Look at verse 6. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he said, God resists the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Amen. You get down on your knees, you say, I can't do it. I, 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 there's no way I can do it. You humble yourself down. God will give you grace. All the grace you could ever want if you'll humble yourself down. I'm sorry I'm no good. I shouldn't have done that. You confess your sins. He's faithful and just forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's the Lord we serve. Then you submit yourselves therefore to God, verse 7, because you've humbled yourself down. That's a submission. And you resist the devil and he will flee from you. Not that he might flee from you or he'll back up. He will flee from you. You've seen our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ deal with the devil. And when he dealt with the devil, he dealt with him by quoting scripture at him. And the Bible said the devil left him. Just flee. Christian, you might not realize this, but the devil's afraid of you. The devil is afraid of you. And it has nothing to do with this flesh. The devil's afraid of me and it has nothing to do with King and Hall. 
The devil's afraid of me is because I've got this atomic bomb in me called Jesus Christ. Amen. And this, this thing in me, it's in my heart called the Holy Spirit. This thing's like an atomic bomb going off to the devil. Because it would just take one word for Jesus Christ to say to the devil, and the devil would have to do everything that that Lord and Savior Jesus Christ says. Amen. And the devil knows it. It's like an atomic bomb going off. Look at Mark chapter 1. I'm going to show you this in action. Mark chapter 1. You need to resist him. You need to resist him in faith. It's a weapon you have, guys. It's a resistance. You know, when there's wars back in World War II, they had the French resistance. The French resistance. You had these, it's people that are resisting the powers that be. They're resisting the, in the war. They're, they're doing everything they can. As a Christian, we're doing everything we can to resist what the devil's trying to do to us. Because we're in a war, and we're going to resist him, and we're going to fight him, and we're not going to let him get the win. We're not going to let him get the victory. We're going to fight him. But we're not fighting him in our own weapons, and our own warfare. We're fighting him with the weapons of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he's, he's screaming at us and he's giving us all kinds of afflictions, we're going to rejoice in Jesus Christ. Man, we're not going to give him the victory. Look at Mark chapter 1, look at verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out. Okay, there's a man that's possessed of a devil. And where is that man at? According to that verse right there. He's in the synagogue. That's the, what we would call the local church. You mean there's, there can be demon-possessed people in the church? You bet your bottom dollar. I've seen them. I'm not looking at anybody right now. I'm staring right at that back wall. I'm messing around. But I have seen them. The devil loves to work in the church. It's an unclean spirit, verse 24, saying that the unclean spirit, the devil says, let us alone. Whatever we need to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. See, that's enough to get him baptized and put on the church roll. He, possess, he professed Jesus Christ. He knows who Jesus is. Let's baptize him and put him on the church roll. He's a devil. <laughs> he hasn't repented. He hasn't called him Lord and Savior. He hasn't cried out for salvation in Jesus Christ. He knows who he is. It's not enough to know who Jesus Christ is. You've got to bow down and accept him as your Lord and Savior. Amen. Look at verse 25. And this is our Savior. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. And they were all amazed. Insomuch that they were questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. Well, that's the authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh. And I'm telling you, you can resist the devil by doing what Jesus Christ did there in verse 25. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace. You resist the devil by telling him, shut your mouth. That's a modern translation for you. Shut up. When the devil comes to you and he starts talking to you and your, your mind starts working on you and it's saying, oh, I don't know if this is, I don't know if, if this is real. I don't, and you start doubting and you start doing all these kind of things. The devil is giving you all these kind of words in your, in your mind. You got to say, just shut up. Shut up. 
I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ said, hold the peace. Be quiet. Shut up. You're going to have people who are going to come to you, and they're going to harass you, and they're going to say stuff to you, and you've got to tell them, you know what? Be quiet. And you've got to fight. How are you going to fight them? You've got to pull out your sword, the Word of God, and you've got to quote them this. You've got to know it to quote it. You've got to know it to quote it. You've got to just tell them to be quiet, to shut up. When doubt and envy and sin is starting to work in your life, you've got to resist it by telling them, you know, I, don't, I don't want no part of it. Just keep your mouth shut. When the TV's talking to you and the TV's saying something you shouldn't hear, you need to take up, pick up your remote. You need to push the power button. You need to turn it off and say, shut up. You can turn it off. You have power to turn off your TV set. When the Internet's, or you're on Facebook and somebody's saying something on Facebook, you just tell them, shut up, and you block them. You turn it, or better yet, take your phone and put it on the ground. And, <laughs> and they come up to church the next Sunday and say, Brother Keegan, something made me mad on Facebook and I stomped on my phone and I praise God, glory to God. Another convert. Just get off of Facebook, get off of Twitter, get off of the, the internet. You don't have to deal with it. Amen. Why are you listening to it? Amen, don't listen to it. Just hold that peace, just tell them to shut up, resist it. And he'll flee from you. Look at Luke. Look at Luke. Look at Luke chapter 21. Please. I'm going to show you another one. I'm going to show Jesus Christ doing this stuff again. Look what he says here. Luke chapter 21 verse 12. We have a weapon of rejoicing. We have this weapon that we're looking at right now called resistance. It's a powerful weapon. Luke chapter 21. Look at verse 12. Jesus Christ is talking about his, his followers. But look, in, in, in the reference here, look at what he's saying though. But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought up before kings and rulers for my name's sake. People are hating you for Jesus Christ's name. And it shall turn to you for a testimony. See, all this stuff's going to happen in your life, guys, but it's turning for a testimony. It's turning for you to be able to glorify God, to glorify Jesus Christ. It's giving you an opportunity to give the glory to Jesus Christ. It's going to turn for you for a testimony, he says there in verse 13. Look at verse 14. Sell it, sell it therefore in your hearts not to meditate before what you shall answer. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. You're going to be brought before all these people. You're going to be brought before policemen. You're going to be brought before rulers and kings and church people. Look, he's, he said you're going to be brought into the synagogue. You're going to be brought before people in the church house. They're going to accuse you of following me and, and, and believing in me. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. I know some of y'all. Y'all don't have a big mouth like me. Y'all can be kind of shy, which is a blessing. Praise the Lord that y'all are shy that way. That but you, you're worried. You're saying, well, I wouldn't know what to say. I wouldn't know what. How, well, don't worry about it. He says, don't worry about what you're going to say. God will give you what to say. He says right there in the next verse, look at verse 15. For I, Jesus Christ, I will give you a mouth and wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Amen. Jesus Christ says when you're brought before them, you're, going to be, you're, going to, you're worried about what you Don't worry about it. Because when you get before them, he goes, I'm going to tell you what to say. It's going to come out of your mouth. I'm going to give you the mouth and I'll give you the wisdom. I see this in my preaching. 
I'll study and I'll study and I'll study and I'll study and I'll say, okay, I'm ready. And I'll get up to the preach and then I'll say something totally different I didn't mean to say. And I gave up on that years ago. I thought, okay, Lord, I know what's going on. Because I'm not smart enough to say that. It's you working in me. It's you working. I've had y'all come out to me in the back of the church and say, well, brother, when you said this, that, and other, that just spoke to my heart. And I'm thinking, I didn't say that. You heard that because God wanted you to hear that. You needed to hear that. I didn't say that. And you'll say that to me, and I'll go back, and I have to edit out my sermons. I never hear myself say that. God was speaking to your heart, brothers and sisters. That's how he works. I, 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 I will give you a mouth and wisdom. But notice what you're supposed to do with it, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. Gainsay is to deny or, or, or contradict. You're not be able to deny or contradict it nor resist. Now, I'm showing these verses to show you this, that you've got the mouth that God's given you. You've got the words of God. God will put words in your mouth. You can use those to resist. What I wrote down in my Bible is this. The best defense is a good offense. And I believe that with all my heart. The best defense is a good offense. You want somebody to stop attacking you? You attack them. When you, if somebody's hitting you, hit them back. That's what we tell the about people getting bullied at school, right? I know some of y'all are getting real quiet now. He come at you, he hit you right there. He said, "Okay, when you go back to school, you punch him right." Now. We us grown men say that stuff, right? It's a, it's a kind of attitude that you say, "Hey, the best defense is good offense." When somebody's attacking you, you get it right back to them. Make them crawfish. Make them crawfish. Make them, when they start attacking you, I don't believe Jesus Christ said that. I don't believe. Will you give them what Jesus Christ said? You give it to them. You give it to them. God, Jesus Christ says, I'll give you a mouth and I'll give you wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist. You, listen, the best defense is a good offense. You want to you stop resisting the devil? Well, start attacking him to where he has to resist you. You're tired of the world attacking you, we'll, and you're having to resist the world? Well, attack them. Make them resist you. That's the best defense is a good offense. And give it to them. It's not a physical fight, brothers and sisters. You're not, I'm not talking about physically doing something to somebody. I'm talking about resist them to the words of God. Resist them. Just get in your heart to say, I'm tired of this, and let God give you something to say to them. He's did it to me all the time through the Jehovah's Witness. Stuff I had no idea about. I just, boom, God will give it to me right there. Bam. And man, it's fun to see them crawfish. It's so fun to see them roll over, you know. Man, give it to them. Aren't you tired of losing? Aren't you tired of losing against the flesh? Man, why don't you say, no, I'm tired of you. And you're just not going to do that. Get over here on the God side for what? I'm sick of you. And resist it. That's our weapon. It's a weapon of resistance. Now I'm going to show you the last one. Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. This is the last one, guys, I promise. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. It's the last weapon. We had a weapon of rejoicing, a weapon of resistance. And the most powerful weapon, the most powerful weapon we have that the world does not understand is a weapon of love. It's a weapon of love. That sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But that's the whole Christianity. 
All of Christianity is a big oxymoron. You want to save your life, you better lose it, Jesus said. Crucify yourself, pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. It's a, it's a life of oxymoron. You want to have a weapon? Use a weapon of love. It's the most powerful weapon you have, and Jesus Christ gave it to us here in Luke chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus said, But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Amen. You got an enemy? You better love them. That's a powerful weapon, guys. Do good to them which hate you. See, these are the verses I want to cut out of my Bible. I like to just take this whole page. And <laughs> I don't want to live this. But I know when I have lived this through the power and help of Je the Lord Jesus Christ, when I have lived it, it's powerful. Verse 28, bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. The world says when they curse you, you curse them back. Jesus says when they curse you, you bless them. The world says when they hate you, you hate them back. Jesus Christ says when they hate you, you love them. Verse 29. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Boy, it's quiet in here. That's, that's just, that, I'm just reading it to you. <laughs> I, I don't like it any more than you do, but I know it's a weapon that's powerful. Amen. And we don't want to use it because it doesn't have anything to do with us. Because it makes us, the world thinks you're stupid when you love your enemies. The world thinks you're stupid when you bless those that curse you. The world thinks you're stupid when they hit you on the cheek and you turn the other. The world thinks you're stupid, but God says it's power. It's power. That's where you're going to get the power of Jesus Christ on you. That's your weapon of your warfare. Look at verse 30. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. The world says, what's in it for me? The world says, what's in it for me? And we're supposed to say, what can I give to you? Amen, Brother Keegan. <laughs> That's what Jesus Christ says. Look at verse 31. And as ye, would that, as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. That drives me crazy. I've been in different school districts and they'll have that. The golden rule, do unto others as you have done unto you. And I, and I always say, every time I see that, that's a quote of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you need to put, quote, Jesus Christ said that. That's Jesus Christ. You have quotes of Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King Jr. and all that other stuff. When he said it, you quote it. He said it. You quote it. The, the golden rule is not do unto others. The golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules. That's the golden rule, amen? Amen. <laughs> we know that. That's Jesus Christ's rule, not the golden rule. Guys, verse 32, for if you love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Mm, 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 mm. Ouch. It's easy to love somebody that's loving you back. Jesus Christ, sinners do that. Jesus Christ said sinners do that. You know better than a sinner. Oh, you can love those that love you. You can give to those that are going to give back to you. He said sinners can do that. What, what different are you than some wicked sinner? The mobsters do that. 
If you study the mafia, they do that. The mafia is real good at loving those that love them. The mafia is real good at doing good to those that do good to them. That's the mafia system. Verse 33, if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. <laughs> Some of this stuff, I can just read it and just let it lie. I, 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 I can just, I'm reading this stuff and I can just literally feel it just going over you and I can feel you just... <laughs> I don't even have to comment on it. And if you had lend... If you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be, you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and unto the evil. He sends the rain on the just and the unjust. You, is he kind to the unthankful and the evil? He came to you when you were a sinner and saved you. He loved you before you loved him. Guys, you've got to start living like God wants you to live. And you'll have the most powerful weapon you've ever known. It's the power of love. How many, how many movies... Now, y'all watch a lot of movies. How many movies have you seen where the power of love has conquered somebody? I've never seen a movie where the power of hate has conquered anybody. The power of hate just destroys. But how many stories, how many great redemption stories do you know where the power of love has conquered all? It's the power of love that's going to change the world. And Jesus knew it. And he's given it to you. It's your most powerful weapon. It's the power of love. It's the power of charity. Charity is a giving love. It's the power of whenever somebody's hating on you, love them. Romans chapter 12, in closing. Paul tells us exactly. Romans chapter 12. He tells us, it gives us, some, it gives us the words of this. And it will, I'm, I promise you we're closing right here. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. And we're in closing. The most powerful weapon you have as a Christian is love and charity. Man, I have some enemies. And I have some people that hate me, and I sure wish they would love me. That would sure make my life a lot easier. But they won't because they're not Christians. Verse 19. Dearly beloved... Avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. It's not your place to start get to vengeance. It's not your place to pay them back. It's God's place. Dr. Rubman has, this, has a great quote, and I'm going to read it to you. This is Dr. Rubman. So he said, You had better leave vengeance to the Lord. If he doesn't get them, he puts that in quotes, if he doesn't get them, then you were wrong in the first place. That's right. You know what? I found out in my life there's times I've been so mad and I wanted to pay somebody back and then years later I look back and go, oh yeah, they, they, were, they were right about that. <laughs> Oops. I, should, I guess I shouldn't have slashed their tires. 
And if he does pay them back, he will always, listen, he will always do a better job of it than you could have done. I had some people in this town, Brownwood, Texas, they spread some of the most vile, whip, wicked things about me all over town. They were going in. They were, guys, I won't even repeat what they were saying about me. My wife knows about it, and it broke my heart, man. I, I, and, and to say I had wrath is an understatement. I was calling people. I was threatening people. I wanted to kill somebody, and I don't, I'm not joking around. I was ready to kill somebody. And I had to go down in my prayer closet and I had to say, God, I don't know why this is happening. God, you're going to have to do something for me, God. And I just turned it over to the Lord. Because I had a church and a testimony to keep. And I don't want y'all to come down there and have to pray for me while I'm in the jailhouse for over killing somebody. I'm not joking. I was that mad. And I had to turn it over to God. Man, when the Lord got done with them three... They're all three in a grave. And I can't tell you details because you might figure out who I'm talking about. They're all three. Died young. One of them died with their brain splattered against a wall. Dead, 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 dead. The Lord knows how to take care of you, Christian. Let him do it. And I'm going to tell you something. You've got to be careful what you pray. Because God, sometimes he'll show up. And man, he'll do something that you didn't even see coming. I've gotten mad. Listen, my son came home one day, and, I, and I, was, I was going through that divorce, and my son came home, and he was, he was, I, he was 10 years old. I'm going to make him ride his bicycle to school because I couldn't take him to school. And he came home, and he said, Daddy, he said, I'm riding my bike, and there's these kids that are waiting to get on the bus, and they're throwing rocks at me. My little 10-year-old son that can't protect himself, they're throwing rocks at me, and they're cussing me. They're calling him all kinds of names and throwing rocks at him, and he's just trying to get to school on his bike. So the next morning, I knew exactly where those kids were at. The next morning, the father, he got in his car, and I drove down there. And when I pu pulled down into that parking lot, I came in there skidding like this. Arr! I got out of my car, and I said, you blankety blanks, if any one of you touch my son or throw a rock at him, I'm going to come down, and I'm going to kill you. And their eyes were about like that. And I got back in my car, and I threw it in the drive, and I drove off. Now, was I in the right? I'm not telling you I was in the right. But I'll tell you what, they never threw another rock at my son. Because the father got after him. And when your heavenly father gets enough sick enough of what they're doing to you, he'll get after them. That's right. Your father loves you. And when somebody's doing something to mistreat you, he's not going to put up with it long. When you will humbly say, Father, they're picking on me. They're doing you don't think the Lord doesn't have a heart for you? About ten times the size of something? He'll get after them. Let the Lord get after them. You back off. Look at the very next verse, verse 20. I'm confessing too much. Y'all going to leave the church. <laughs> I'm just a wicked sinner, guys. But I see God working in my life, and I see where I've made mistakes, and I can see where God works. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his Head. Amen. You know what happens when somebody that I don't like does something nice for me? It just drives me nuts. I don't like it. I don't want them to be nice. I mean, I'm mad at them. And this is what that verse says. You know what verse 20 says? It simply says this. You can kill somebody with kindness. It kills them. 
When somebody's mad and angry and hates you, and you come over and you do something really nice for them, man, it's like heaping coals of fire on the head. You're killing them. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, your weapon is rejoicing. Your weapon is a, a, a weapon of resistance. And your most powerful weapon is a weapon of love. And you can literally kill somebody with your love. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I come to you humbly. Father, you know I'm just a wicked sinner, Father. And if I said something that wasn't appropriate, Lord, or that you didn't, you didn't find pleasing, Father, I just pray that it fell on deaf ears and blind eyes, Father. But, Lord, I just try to be real, Father, and try to show myself, Lord, as my mistakes. And, Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. And, Father, I thank you that you're a father. And that you have a love like I have a love for my son, Lord. And when somebody gets after me, you get after them, Lord. And I thank you for that. I thank you for your protection of your wing. And, Lord, I just crawl underneath your wing, Lord God, and I, I cry out to you like a chick, and I want to be protected. Lord, you know I'm just a wicked sinner. But, Father, if there's somebody underneath the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as a father, they've never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they don't know what I'm talking about when I say that you've given them, you'll give us love and joy and peace when we're going through tribulation. If they don't know that, Lord, I just pray as we give this invitation, they'll come on down here and they'll get saved. And I'm praying all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, it's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on, on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. 
See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13, he sums it up, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care upon him.